Welcome to the Nonprofit Hero Factory, a weekly live video broadcast and podcast where we'll be helping nonprofit leaders and innovators create more heroes for their cause and a better world for all of us. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the fifth episode of the Nonprofit Hero Factory. I'm so excited to have um, my guest today is Tracy Kaufman from Candid. Um, if you're watching us on video, I'm excited to announce that the audio version of this uh, show, the podcast, is now available on iTunes, on Stitcher, on uh, Spotify, and basically most of your major platforms, and we hope to be on all of them within the next few days. So please, please go seek us out over there. Subscribe download, listen, and of course, share your thoughts. Uh, whether you leave a public review, happy, very happy for those, or a private one, if you want to send me a note, uh, anything is appreciated. And any constructive criticism is always welcome, because that's how we grow and develop. So uh, yeah, go check us out. And uh, without any further ado, let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. Uh, Tracy Kaufman is the programs manager at Candid. Candid is a recently formed or renamed organization from the merger of Foundation Center and GuideStar. And now at Candid, Tracy is their uh, programs manager and the main instructor of all things, uh, basically grant writing, uh, communicating with funders. And she's also currently working on a lot of their curriculum development. She is a pretty fantastic person in general. She's a great resource. I'm very excited to have her. And uh, without any further ado, let's just go ahead and bring her on. Hi, Tracy. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. So uh, I hope that was uh, an adequate introduction, but please tell us uh, more about your story and your uh, nonprofit superhero uh, superpower. Uh, in other words, how you help nonprofits get more heroes for their cause. All right. I'll start with the superpower just so that I don't forget what it is. I would say my superpower would be the power of information. Um, so a lot of this is because my background was originally as a librarian and, um, anyone who knows any librarians knows we're all about information and the power behind access to information. I have been working for Candid, formerly known as Foundation Center and GuideStar. I've been with the Foundation Center half of Candid for almost 13 years now. Um, I started working with them back in 2007, originally in their library. Um, Candid is all about data and research on foundations and nonprofits and how you can use that information to be a little more uh, a little stronger in the work that you do for your cause, both for foundations to do stronger work in terms of how they can fund things by knowing a little bit more about what's going on out there in the world of foundation funding, and so that nonprofit organizations can be more well-informed about what they can do uh, to work more effectively. That is awesome. And um, you and I have collaborated on things. You've brought me into Candid, to Foundation Center, and I've brought you onto webinars in, in the past. Um, and I know you have a lot of tremendous, tremendous valuable uh, knowledge that you can share at any given time on a whole range of subjects. So let's let's dive in to um, what you're seeing right now, what's going on in terms of the grant making and grant receiving space that you're seeing. All right. So as we all know, we are in the middle of a pandemic right now. Uh, so what has been happening with COVID-19 has been having, 
obviously in massive in, impacts, not just on health, but also on the economy and on nonprofit organizations. They are all dealing with a lot right now. Um, my organization, Candid, has been tracking a lot of data on what's been going on in terms of foundation funding at this time. And I'd like to, to just talk a little bit about what foundation funding means at a time like this right now. So at this moment, since mid-March, I believe $10.6 billion so far has been committed to uh, funding related to coronavirus relief. In some cases, this has to do with like straight up towards the virus, health-related issues. In many cases, this is talking about uh, the economic crisis related to it and a lot of things really related to basic needs, food and shelter, um, unemployment, things like that. Uh, but there's been a tremendous amount of funding going up and it's been rising dramatically. The last time I spoke publicly on something like this, I believe we had a little over $4 billion uh, dollars that had been given out. That was in early April. Now that we're in May, we're at $10.6 billion. And so a lot of that uh, funding that's floating around out there is corporate. The early uh, rush of funding from foundations uh, for COVID relief was about 75% corporate. Now it's about two-thirds corporate with more of the uh, independent and family foundations beginning to catch up a bit. Um, so when it comes to foundation funding right now, keep in mind under normal circumstances, foundation funding is a pretty modest piece of how nonprofits are supporting themselves. Uh, like the most recent information was that about 18% of the private support that goes to nonprofits is coming from foundations, just 18% compared to almost 70% coming from individual donors. However, at a time like this, foundation funding has a little bit more stability to it, relatively speaking, compared to individual donors. Um, I read in the Chronicle of Philanthropy recently that the percentage of Americans giving to charity has dropped to, I think, an all-time low of like 73%. Um, and a lot of this is because people don't have the money to spare right now. Individual people don't have the money to spare right now. Or they're worried about their long-term financial prospects, and so they're trying to save and, and allocate as, as thriftily as possible right now. Exactly. Even if they're not suffering financially at this moment, the uncertainty makes them more cautious about what they're going to do with their money. But foundations don't have that option to give or not give. Foundations are required by law to give out at least 5% of their assets per year. That alone leads to a little bit more stability as a funding source for an organization. And at a time like this, foundations also often have certain kind of built-in shock absorbers that help them to be a little more stable in their giving compared to other sources. I'm not going to say that it's easy to get foundation funding or that foundation funding will not be affected by this crisis because it will and it is. Um, but a lot of foundations do what we call asset averaging, which leads them to give a little bit less than it seems like they should when times are good, but it leads them to give a little bit more during a rainy day. And right now we are on a rainy day situation. We're in a rainy year situation. Yes. <laughs> and so because of this, about a, a roughly a third of foundations do asset averaging so that they, when they're 
portioning out their 5% payout rate instead of making it be just on their most recent fiscal year. They average it out over the past few years so that um, if they've had some good years in the past, this means sometimes their payout is a little lower during good times, but it means that when times are rough, if it's averaged out this way, they're giving a little bit more. So that is helpful as well. That's awesome news, of course, for um, all of us in the nonprofit space. Um, How should, how can, I guess, nonprofits take advantage? Um, So um, I know that at least initially the response from foundations, uh, and I think you just alluded to this too, is, you know, to the the most urgent of needs, um, to the the nonprofits out there that are handling. Uh, Marion Stern was on the show uh, last week, and we were talking about um, the Maslow's hierarchy, and, and it was you know, foundations were focused on nonprofits handling the most critical needs on that hierarchy. Um, but all things are necessary um, in that hierarchy. They're all needs. So are is the funding now uh, expanding to more types of organizations or are most foundations still focused on those most uh, integral needs of like food and shelter? Um, I would say a lot of the new funding initiatives that are coming out right now are going to be heavily focused towards basic needs, food and shelter. And that is important, especially because social services organizations, I think, are being hurt almost most of all at a time like this. They have the thinnest margins and the smallest um, operating reserves of all nonprofits. And so it is important. However, if, for instance, you have existing funders that are all already have been giving to you. Foundation priorities are foundation priorities. Those don't tend to change over time. When foundations choose, these are the subjects that we want to give towards. That is a relatively stable thing. If you're an arts organization, your arts funder is still an arts funder, for instance. Um, I would say it's probably more important than ever to focus most heavily on the funders you already have. Um, You can chase down new funders, but as they say, it's cheaper to keep them. Like go for for the the people who know you and like your work the best first and steward them. Absolutely right on. So speaking of that, what is working and and what's not working uh, for nonprofits these days with seeking foundational funding? Um, so I think the most effective technique is to double down on what you do best. What are the critical needs that you serve and how you do it effectively? Some of these things are true, not just in a crisis, but at all times, but they become truer than ever right now, focusing not just on the fact that your organization is suffering right now. Most organizations are suffering right now. Um, But putting a little more emphasis on the urgency of the work you are doing. What is the critical social value that you provide right now? Why is it important that this work gets funded? What they call the case for support, strengthening that case for support and making sure that you can clearly articulate, uh, whether it's to foundations or to individuals or whoever, that this is important work that needs to exist. That question of why do you exist? Why do you do the work that you do every day? Being able to communicate that in a crisp, clear, persuasive way is going to take you very, very far. 
So we've been talking a bunch on, on this show and really everyone that I've been talking to in general um, about how to um, refocus your mission and and within your mission, find new ways to to achieve it, to, to serve your community. Um, I know that uh, individual donors specifically are responding to it. So if you have been primarily uh, doing uh, fulfilling your mission in one way and it's been more per person to person, direct uh, contact, and now you're shifting to programs that are more online based or um, that are helping people specifically in the situation that we're all in right now. But um, it, it's something slightly new, something slightly different still, though, based in your mission. A lot of individual donors are responding to they appreciate that you are still trying to serve your community, that you're filling these important needs, that you are uh, pivoting and involving as needed to keep serving. Are funders interested in new ways that you're that you're doing your work, or are they mostly interested in the uh, the long term uh, programs that you've already had in the past? As long as whatever pivot you're making for your programs makes sense for who you are and who you serve and what you do, then I believe funders are going to be very receptive to that. Funders are people the same way regular donors are people. And they understand that times are complicated right now. As long as you loop your funders in to what is going on, don't surprise them with whatever changes are taking place internally at your organization. Talk to them right now if you haven't already, about changes that you're making in your program. Uh, because things are different, we are taking this program and reconfiguring it to this new virtual format uh, in order to still keep serving people and getting such and such um, positive outcomes. Just talk to them openly and honestly about it. I can't emphasize enough how important it is just to talk openly and honestly with your funders to not surprise them, and also just to make sure that you're getting them on board with things as they're happening. Um, and they can either opt in or opt out, but they're much more likely to opt in to what you're doing if you're completely on the level with them at all times and having open human conversations with them. Sure. Keeping them feeling like a partner in, in the work that you're doing, right? Exactly, because they are a partner. Absolutely. And uh, a lot of storytelling definitely comes into play in that where it's uh, how do you tell the story of the community that you're serving, the the way that they're being impacted right now and the ways that you're pivoting, adjusting to serve them. But absolutely, as you said, staying true to your mission and the, the goals of the programs in the first place, rather than all of a sudden you see a, a need that's unrelated and launching something completely new. Yeah, you don't want to do mission drift at a time right. like this. Yeah, mission drift, mission creep. <laughs> um, absolutely. So um, what then, we, we've hit the initial crush, if you will, of, of emotion, of response, of uh, changes in the way that we all, not just uh, our organizations operate, but we all kind of see the world and society right now. Things that change really rapidly. Uh, some nonprofits were great at adjusting. Some took a little longer or are still on, on that path. But now that we see this uh, new reality, if you will, that we're going to that we're going to be in for at least the next few months, maybe years, maybe some changes are probably permanent um, in, in their lasting effects. Um, what should nonprofits be looking at now um, and thinking about in terms of their sustainability post pandemic, post covid? I mean, there's there's two main pieces of what nonprofits are going to need to be thinking about. 
they'll need to think about what do their programs look like long term now, and to what extent do you even know the long term? Um, every a lot depends on what your subject area is, what you do, what your programs currently look like. Some things more easily adapt to these modified new formats than others. Um, but just being careful that for some things it might not go back to normal. It might, if we're very fortunate, but coming up with maybe a few plans of what the future might look like so that you can be adaptable, um, like trying to be proactive rather than reactive to the situation, which is difficult and it's going to be difficult for everyone. But having an idea of what does, for instance, this time next year look like, how much will be back to normal and how much might not be and how can you be ready for either outcome? But then there's the fundraising question. I think there's a little more control over what the, the question of fundraising will look like compared to the question of what your programs might look like. Now, fundraising is hard and it always has been and it will continue to be difficult. I don't want to paint an overly rosy picture of what foundation funding looks like right now because it's, it's never been easy to get a grant and it's not going to be easy to, to get a grant and it shouldn't be. Um, grants are given to organizations who merit the grant funding, the case for support. Um, so there is there is the foundation piece. There's also figuring out what do what does the piece of individual donations look like for your organization? Because the share of donors ha is shrinking, uh, as, as I was reading, that fewer people are giving to charity right now. And what's that going to look like over time? Um, they're saying that lower income donors have shrunk the most, whereas the higher income donors have been affected the least. Donor advised funds, meanwhile, this is kind of a bright spot. Giving from donor advised funds has gone up something like, what is it, 58%? I wrote it down. It, uh, Yeah, donor advised fund grant making is up 58% between March and April compared to what those numbers were like this time last year. That's a big deal. And that is a good thing to keep in mind. It's not incredibly easy to access donor advised funds if you haven't already, but these are basically high income donors. So cultivating them a little bit better. Um, with someone who has a DAF, the thing is, this is money that has already been committed to charity. It's already there. So you may as well ask. You may as well cultivate those major donors more than ever. But this all leads back into a major thing of what what nonprofits need to do to become more sustainable over time, which is re-examine your funding streams. Make sure they are diversified. Before the pandemic, there were a lot of um, organizations that were overly dependent on one or two funding streams, whether it's individual donors, whether it's government support. It's very risky to be overly dependent on government support making sure that you are looking at ways to diversify as much as possible so that when there's a crisis, you are more protected. You've hedged your bets a bit more. So I think that's going to be one major, major piece of it. Uh, is like very similar to an investment strategy, right? That, that um, if you're uh, an investor, you want to have a diverse portfolio because, you know, if you're all in the stock market, <laughs> the stock market went down pretty sharply over the last uh, few months, right? And most of your wealth could have been wiped out. Similarly, from the okay. other perspective, right? As a nonprofit, you want to have multiple uh, revenue or, and uh, funding streams so that if one goes south, 
uh, temporarily or long-term, you can still keep going along with, with some of the others and supplement in different ways, right? Yep. And I mean, nonprofits tend to be, have been very vulnerable uh, during crises like this, financially speaking. Uh, even in the best of times, uh, nonprofits have very slim margins and not that much money saved up in reserves for a rainy day. And then when something like this happens and you lose a critical funding stream, that is when disaster strikes. So it's going to be more important than ever to think through um, finances and operations more carefully than ever to be protected. But at the same time, keep getting out there and hustling to make the case for the importance of your work because you exist for a reason. The work you do is important and essential for a reason. And just learning how to put that into clear, jargon-free wording that will get people excited, whether it's a foundation, whether it's a corporation, whether it's an individual, getting people excited about, oh, my money will make results. People's lives will be better with this money. And learning how to tell that story as vividly as you can Doing that along with that risk-averse financial planning, I think will be incredibly important. And then there's going to be one other thing, which is learning how to collaborate with your fellow organizations more than ever. It's been a lot of lip service about the importance of collaboration over, over the years. And I think at a time like now, collaboration is going to be more important than ever when it comes to being able to sustain yourselves. Um, sometimes it might be a more informal collaboration. Uh, maybe people share office space uh, at some point, assuming we all get back to physical offices at some point in the future. Um, or it might be something as major as a merger. Some organizations will find that they'll be able to thrive better if they merge. Um, and starting to think about that a little bit more carefully, consolidating resources so that you're not replicating the same services as another organization. And I think that will help people thrive um, considerably. Yeah, finding efficiencies and synergies, right? Um, in terms of uh, office space, uh, I've been thinking a lot about that. And I think the co-working model is probably going to shift and nonprofits can, can take advantage of it too, where, you know, everybody doesn't have to be in the office all the time. And so multiple uh, teams can essentially share the same space on different days or different hours, whatever it might be, so that you have a home base if you need to go in and have a conference, have a, a all hands on deck meeting, um, hands on meeting, whatever that term is. Um, and the other days, you're all working from home and you're fine with, with Zoom um, or other remote methodologies. So I did want to, though, come back to uh, donor advised funds for a second. Mm -hmm. Are they very different than, say, a regular family foundation? Do they also have to uh, donate a certain percentage or distribute a certain percentage of their funding in any given year? No. So donor advised funds are kind of a little bit like an individual donor and a little bit like a foundation. This A donor advised fund is when a person or a family or what have you takes a chunk of their wealth, it could be in some places, it's as small as like $5,000. In other cases, it might be a million dollars. They vary. And they're invested in a donor advised fund, which means this money, it is technically committed to go to charity at some point, but it, it is invested. The money grows over time. And whenever the person wants to take a piece of this money and give it away to an organization, they're able to do that. 
but there's not a ton of regulation on donor-advised funds. While foundations are required to give out at least 5% of their assets each year, a donor-advised fund can go a whole year and give away nothing. So there's been a lot of controversy about this over time. Um, however, it is a very good sign that right now donor-advised fund giving is up yeah. um, because a lot of money is going there. A lot of the people who used to set up a family foundation are instead using their money for a donor-advised fund because it's much easier to operate than operating a foundation. It's a lot of work to run a family foundation, but it's very simple and straightforward to run a donor-advised fund. Do you guys track that at Candid as well and at GuideStar and Foundation Center sides of it? We try to collect what information is available on them, but there is a lot of secrecy around donor advised funds. A lot of the giving is anonymous, and that's what people often like about using a donor advised fund as well. They like being anonymous. They like not having every nonprofit in town knocking on their doors at all times. I find it most helpful to think of a donor advised fund the same way as an individual donor, because in some ways they are. It's it's like the Wizard of Oz or behind the curtain of all that money and that structure. There's just a person with a lot of money. Um, so you might cultivate a donor advised fund holder the same way that you would cultivate a high net worth donor. So getting to know people um, in spheres of wealth and influence, I mean, it, we're all trying to cultivate that for, for our donor basis in some ways, I guess. Um, the, a lot of people um, who have a lot of wealth, it turns out, even if you did not know it originally, that they do their giving through a donor-advised fund. Um, so I would say talk to them the same way you would talk to an individual high net worth donor. That is going to be the most successful way to do it. Cool. Um, so you guys... Uh can only collect as much information as, as, as you can collect because it's not all publicly available. It's not um, like they don't need to file 990s um, or any kind of uh, documentation really that's public. Um, for the stuff that you guys do track, uh, is there a tool you think uh, nonprofits should be looking at, especially right now or in general? What's a good uh, reason to look at? There's a lot. If you're interested in COVID-specific information, we do have a pop-up site that our data and research staffers have, have been working on. Uh, funding for coronavirus uh, pop-up site is tracking how much funding is, is going on out there and who are the top funders, where's the money going. We've been tracking tons of information, doing a lot of uh, write-ups and analysis on what that funding looks like right now. That would be a great resource. And just for general information, um, if you're looking for foundation funding, you can always use the foundation directory online, which is our database of over 150,000 different grant making foundations. Um, that will be a very helpful resource for researching foundations. If you're looking to research nonprofits and the type of work that a nonprofit organization is doing, GuideStar will be a terrific resource for doing that. And if you're just looking for kind of tools for how to strengthen your organization overall, I would suggest grantspace.org. This is where we put a lot of our training uh, classes, our webinars. Um, you can access our online librarian service there. Whenever you have a question about anything, ask our online librarians and they're very knowledgeable and helpful. Um, so those will probably be the major resources. Those are all great. And we're going to make sure to link to all of those in the show notes for this episode. Um, if someone does reach out to a librarian, is there a chance they're going to hit you? Or are you still doing any librarian services? Or are you fully out yeah, of that? I used to be one of the online librarians, but we've got a whole team all over the country of people who are doing it right now. 
So what should people do if they want to follow you, connect with you further and, and learn more about the stuff that you're doing over at uh, Candid? Well, if you want to follow me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to connect and answer any questions you have. Um, you can also find me through a lot of the trainings that take place over on GrantSpace. So definitely follow GrantSpace. If you get on their newsletter list, you'll be able to keep up with what are the new classes, webinars, what have you that are that are coming up in the future. And my team and I are always happy to be of service there. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tracy. You're always so, so generous with all the knowledge and information that you have. Um, so much of it stored up in, in your in your head over all these years that you've accumulated. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm sure that people will be following up with you on LinkedIn and uh, checking out Grantspace and all the other great resources that you mentioned. Um, any parting words that you'd like to, to, to share with the audience before we sign off? Stay strong and remember to talk to your funders. Call them up today. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tracy. And thank you, everybody, for joining us today for episode five of the Nonprofit Hero Factory. Do check us out on YouTube, on Facebook, on all of the major podcast streaming uh, platforms. Let us know what you think. Share your thoughts. Subscribe, download. I don't know. Do anything that you like to do with a, with a podcast these days. Talk to you all very soon, I'm sure. Bye-bye.